Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show here on Cairo Radio. I'm Chef Tom Douglas, owner of a few joints here around Seattle, including Lola Rag downstairs, Seatown at the north end of the Pike Place Market area, and uh, of course, a series pie both downtown and Ballard, the Dolly Valley. The, <laughs> The Dolly Bakery, as much as I can say that. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the beautiful Hot Stove Society kitchens there in the in the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. Hotel Andra is right at the corner of 4th and Virginia, and you're welcome to join us any week. Just go to hotstovesociety.com and buy a ticket, or you can watch from home on your our YouTube channel, which is uh, at Tom Douglas and company. Go look for the Hot Stove Society radio show and have a ball. Join us every Friday morning. Hello, Chef. Hey, good morning, Tom. I'm so glad. What, what happened? You're not even here. You're on screen. I like that. I know. I'm in, I'm in COVID protocol for the first time in two and a half years. It's the weirdest story, Chef. Uh, uh, you know, we, we have been running restaurants since uh, the day everything closed down at great risk, uh, you know, wearing masks and doing everything. And then my family, who now all has COVID, got it from three different places in the same week. Wow. Jackie, Jackie got it from her farmer. Loretta and Ben and, and Hercules got it from their nanny, and I got it from my friends just back from helping refugees in uh, Romania and Ukraine. So I have the most uh, I have the most exotic version of COVID. I have Romanian COVID, which means <laughs> that I have I have to eat the national dish of Romania cabbage rolls every day. Just so happens I have plenty in my freezer. I, I was going to say, just open your freezer because from your story in the past. Sounds like you always put a whole bunch of them away, so that's cool. I do. Well, I'm glad to well, see I mean, you. I'm glad to see you're asymptomatic as well. So nobody is sick. That's that's just just positive. Oh no, everyone everyone is sick, but it's like a, it's uh, everyone is sick with a cold. Well, we miss so we, you, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a great job. I know you do well on Zoom, so that's good. I've done a lot of Zoom over the last couple of years. What's going on there in the studio today, Chef? Well, we have a beautiful audience, and we also have a big big show coming up. So, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, spring lamb, as it's the peak of the season. Uh, we're going to have a great guest, Armandino Batali, who um, is a culinary family royalty around here. So um, we're going we're to welcome him in, on the show. Uh, who else do we have? We're going to talk about spring salads that dazzle. That's probably one of... Dazzling. That's, that's one of Pam's favorite line, probably. Salads that dazzle. And uh, then we're going to be answering a, a, listen a listener query on making an egg sandwich extraordinary. I can't wait to hear that. My favorite part about that, Chef, is that there, we have to take it from a Burger King egg sandwich as ordinary and take it to extraordinary. So I that should, be, uh, that should right be easy. In our wheelhouse. We should be having a good time with that. And then we have uh, the art form of uh, the potato chip tuna sandwich. Another another uh, question mark on that for me. Why do you put potato chip on tuna sandwich? I have no idea. I like good bread, good tuna. The rest is mayo and tomato and lettuce. I mean, let's not go crazy here. But we'll talk. That, that is such that is such a shocker that that is a weird thing for you. <laughs> and then we'll play. Uh, at the end, we'll play our favorite game, uh, Food Tasty Trivia, sponsored by well, Rub it, With foodie, Love. It's foodie fun today. Foodie fun, yes. Mm -hmm. I read that. What's I mean? Is it something different? Jokes. Oh, Food jokes. jokes. Oh. But anyway, my test of the week this week, we always start with that. And I'd like to mention my test of the week. Kathy and I went to uh, Lola the other night on uh, 
before a concert to go see Buddy Guy. Uh, we're a big fan of Buddy Guy. At the, he was playing at the mall. And um, we went to Lola, and I had a salad that I would say was quite essential salad, as in that's the way I like my salad to be. And it's the Greek salad from Jackie, Jackie's Greek salad. And it's tomato, um, feta cheese, red onion, and cucumbers. Super, super simple salad, but it's diced correctly. So, you know, because this is something that you often go through when you eat a salad. You have some chunks of things that are much bigger than your mouth can handle or doesn't make any sense. So now you have cucumber for days and tomato never. You know, kind of idea when you mix the, the sizes. That's why it's important to cut your salad a certain amount of size. You know, I believe in that strongly. Because when you eat, it makes a big difference. But the temperature of the salad was absolutely perfect. Room temp, not refrigerated. The tomatoes were delicious. It was a little grape tomato. Everything was just perfect. And it's not because it's you. I'm not kissing your butt. I'm just telling you that that was whoever made that salad knows how to make the perfect salad. And my wife is a high critic of salads in mo- of everything mostly but on salads especially and she was definitely agreeing with me that it was quite essential it's a very simple salad but you could easily screw that up so easily and it was perfect so congrats to the team at lola thanks chef you know one of the things that makes that salad good and then we did this uh, two weeks ago in a class there at hot stove we always like to compare when it's worth paying extra for something or when following a recipe exactly makes more sense. And so we had a little taste comparison between sheep's milk feta and cow's milk feta. Like, cause some people go, Oh, I'll just get feta, you know, whatever. And the sheep's milk feta was so tangy and lovely and brought out a totally different deliciousness in that salad or in a salad compared to the Wisconsin based cow's milk feta, which they, you know, they still use the name feta, which is not right. Not right. Right, but uh, little things like that can really make the effort. Also, what did you notice in that salad that a lot of Americans just can't handle? Vinegar. There's no lettuce. No. There's oh yeah, no that's true. <laughs> but there's also vinegar, which is I think that's one thing that in most dressing I don't like. They always want to sugar the, the dressing. They always want to sweeten the dressing. I'm like, it's okay. Vinegar is a great item to have yeah. in a salad. You know, it cuts through that rich the the cucumber and the tomatoes need some some perkiness, and that's the perfect perfect thing. All right, my taste of the week is my freezer. You know, we always talk about larding <laughs> our freezer with different oh, things. Wait, hold on, hold on. You start by eating the door? What do you do? Yeah, I just lick, lick the door. Uh, <laughs> but we always talk about larding our freezer, and now is the time. I'm home with COVID. I can't go shopping. Uh, so I'm going into my freezer to see what I have left, and I just ate the last of my lamb mole. I had... Uh, lamb curry because I made a leg of lamb on Monday on my barbecue and it made so much lamb that I have all sorts of things. I uh, ate um, some cabbage rolls last night. I got a box of pork for uh, a Christmas present from my daughter Loretta and my grandson Hercules. And so last yesterday with my cabbage rolls, I had uh, kind of crispy fried jowl bacon. Uh, it, was, it was cut thick and delicious and Oh, my God, so good. Uh, so, you know, just this eating through the freezer has been really fun, remembering when I harvested those things, remembering when I made those things, and enjoying the fruits of my labor. And now spring is around the corner. Time is going to be time to refill it up. Yeah, good. exactly. So why not? 
Okay, when we come back, it's uh, time for spring lamb. I'm going to talk about that leg of lamb that I made on my charcoal grill on Monday and how it's sustaining me through my six days or ten days of COVID quarantine. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show from the... Hot Stove Kitchens here in downtown Seattle, Washington. We're thrilled to be with you. My name is Tom Douglas. I'm coming to you on Zoom today because I'm in COVID quarantine. The first time I've had it uh, in all the time that it's been out there. Uh, very exciting, you know, to be part of the in crowd now. Uh, <laughs> it, it came yeah, out yesterday that Brandy Carlisle has COVID, so I'm feeling I'm feeling very elegant and very hip. I just, it's very funny. Pretty soon it's going to be uncool not to have COVID. I'm like, what? It already is, Chef. It oh, already is, is it? I hate to break it to you. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm living out of that one. Darn it. I'm not going <laughs> to let it get cool to again. my ego. I'm fine. I'm you know, Chef, in the, last, uh, in the last segment, you mentioned a little bit about a slow roasted leg of lamb. Uh-huh. And this is classic uh, spring lamb season. Uh, you know, a lamb is a. Uh, it's a critter that is six to nine months old, typically, when it's harvested. Oftentimes not weaned yet, uh, but uh, but certainly not over a year. It certainly doesn't have permanent teeth yet and all the things that uh, change a lamb into a mutton. Uh, so uh, what's your favorite way to take lamb uh, outside of the rack? The rack is easy, right? It's yeah, like, no. Uh, the, it's like yeah, serving raw tuna. The it's rack, like, you know, that- the rack for me is when I'm lazy and I don't feel like cooking. I'm just going to take the rack and put it in the oven as is, or I'm going to cut the chops off and make chops. But the, Let's the, focus on the shoulder and the leg. Yeah, I think those are the best meat anyway, the best um, tasty meat. You know, it's different than the rack. Um, the leg of lamb, if it's bone in, I'm going to put it in the oven. I'm going to season it, and I'm going to put it in the oven on a bed of uh, maybe a bed of onions, very thick <coughs> onions, and then put that in the oven with a little bit of olive oil, at about 2.25, and I put, I'm going to put this in the oven before I go to bed, and then I'm going to look for it the next morning when I wake up, and then I'm good. this is when I'm going to assess how far I am. So the lamb's going to be totally warmed up by the next morning, and it's going to be starting cooking, obviously. What I'm trying to achieve is that the meat is totally braised, but not overcooked to the mush point. I don't want it to be like a pasty kind of texture. I want it to be a a cooked, like, you know, as soon as you touch it, it just falls off the bone. The kind of meat that you can use in tacos or you can use in many different usage. But that's what I'm looking for. So by about 9 a.m. the next morning, so let's just say 12 hours, by the next morning, 9 a.m., it will be totally ready, seasoned. It will have a nice little browning. What I'm going to do is if I want to, I'm going to put it under the broiler and give it a, a little bit more of a touch of crustiness. Just, just like it is, just add some heat to it so you can add that crust. And then other than that, it's totally ready. So on the side, you can have couscous, vegetables, all kinds of different things you can do on the side, obviously. But more importantly, you have a lamb that is melting in your mouth. And, and uh, a leg of lamb that is like this can be put away. The rest of the meat that's not eaten on that meal can be put away and reused in many different ways. You can throw it into a pasta. If you do a nice little pasta little tomato, garlic, basil. You store in the, the lamb meat in there and you have this wonderful lamb pasta. Uh, you could put it into a crispy rice or many other different different things. So 
it's it's a very beautiful way to do lamb without having to stress the you know many people are afraid to overcook lamb or they overcook it one or the two but if you do it correctly and there is plenty of recipes out there you know 12 to 16 hour lamb you know just take the leg of lamb and cook it slowly don't start at 350 or 400 because you're going to burn that limb that lamb so well i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't agree with that necessarily it depends on what you're going for right when you're done with the lamb true. right true if you're going for that fall off the bone then yeah don't start it up high uh, I did a leg on Monday, and I'll start with, it's hard to find a whole shank on leg of lamb anymore, all the Absolutely. way up to the hip or, or pelvis bone. It's just hard to find. So I, I had found one at um, Met Market or Shoreline Central. I can't remember where. And I was in Cryovac, so I just put it in my fridge, thinking that maybe sometime during the Easter holiday that we would have guests over and I would I would use it. And, of course, uh, it never happened, and so the first thing I saw when I was told by my team that I had to stay home for a minimum five days, I said, ah, I have that leg of lamb in the fridge. I got my grill out. I got it started up, and it's got the shank on, and just like you said, I, I kept it at 275 for the whole time, Right. and it took about, for that whole leg, it took about five hours at low and slow in my charcoal grill. And I put a pan of potatoes underneath, just like I would if I was doing a duck. And I did not trim the fat off the lamb. When you're when you're going low and slow on a on a rendering like that, the fat will render. You don't need right. to trim it. And that fat is delicious on the potatoes and everything else that it goes on. So um, I used my new pizza spice. It's in our rub with love line. It was fabulous. It's got toasted onion and good stuff in it. Uh, and then uh, just I had this leg. This big old, I, I, I want to say leg of lamb uh, these days, American lamb especially, is around 10 pounds or so with a yield of probably 8 pounds of meat. Uh, the bone in the hip joint is in there, but it's it's very small compared to the chunkiness of the leg. Right. So, so Chef, when, when you go to the grocery store, or when most people go to the grocery store, they're going to go to the lamb part of the meat refrigerator, and they're going to see shanks kind of cut separately. Uh, they're going to see not even typically a whole rest of the leg. They're going to see that cut in half. So you have the femur end of the leg and you've got the hip joint end of, right. of the leg. The top round is, is part right. of one. And... and then sometimes you'll find the shoulder, which is the same as a, a pork butt, right? right? It's the lamp. It's what they call, even though it's the shoulder, they still call it the pork butt. Right. So it's lamb's shoulder, which has the blade bone in it, which cooks up just like the leg. Correct. Low and low, fall off the bone. So delicious. But it is important if you want a whole leg, you kind of have to pre-order it. If yeah. you go to Don and Joe's in the market or a- any butcher shop can get it for you. Uh, but just if you don't see it in the case, ask the butcher because yeah. they likely are either breaking them down in the back or they have one or two back there that they're, right. they're holding on to. Now, if you get the one in the net uh, without the bone, it's an easy one to cook. I love to, to prep that um, butterfly, which is called butterfly, which is you unroll the meat. Basically, you take it out of the net and you make it as pretty much the same thickness all the way around. So you open your meat and then I make a beautiful olive tapenade. So green olive, black olives, uh, little peppers, roasted peppers in there, uh, chopped shallots, fresh thyme, olive oil. And I put that on top of the lamb, just like that. And I put, the, I put it marinated for a couple of hours. So it goes into the, the, the flavor goes into the meat. And then I turn on the grill and I move the charcoal on the side. So there's no direct flame underneath. 
and then the 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 grill is super hot, and I give the lamb a beautiful a beautiful sear on the skin side, not on the olive side. I keep all the olives in there, and then I put the lid on top of the lamb, and I let it cook inside the grill like this at about it's about 350. That's the temperature I'm looking for. I tell you one thing: it makes a leg of lamb, and it cooks fairly fast because it's only a couple of inches wide. So. You get you get your lamb cooked in about 45 minutes. You know you you get a beautiful leg of lamb, and leg of lamb to me should be cooked mostly all the way. Medium, you're looking for at least medium, so you don't end up with a bunch of chewy, sinewy when you're eating it. You know, it, people who serve you a rare leg of lamb are not the one eating it. That's always what I say. Because if you eat a rare leg of lamb, you're going to be chewing on that meat for quite some time. I tell you, the muscles we have in our butts are not the same one that. You know, in tenderloin, there is no muscle, but you have a lot of muscle up here. So that's another technique to do is it marinated with the olive oil tapenade, a little bit of harissa in it too. And so you get a beautiful uh, flavor of that olive into your lamb. And then, you, like I said, you grill it on the skin side, so it's super seared. And um, it makes a beautiful platter. You know, you take it out of your grill, you put it on the platter, and then you slice it thin. That's another technique that we do in the kitchen you slice your meat thin because the thinner you slice it, the easier it is to eat. If you, ch- if you make big, wide, thick pieces of lamb, you're going to end up with chewy pieces of meat. So delicious. Sounds good. Don't forget to make some kebabs while, you're, oh, while yeah. you're cutting up that lamb, too. Yum. Let's take a break here, and let's uh, welcome into the show when we come back some Seattle royalty. It's Armandino Batali right here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. I'm coming to you on Zoom today. I wish I could be there because my pal Armo is in the house. Fun to be here. Armadino Patali, who we consider a Seattle restaurant royalty. Uh, your son Mario has been a, a leading chef around the country for years and years. Your daughter, I think, took over from you at Salumi, where you were the leading salami maker. You kind of made salami hip again. Uh, here in this town, and uh, your wife uh, made gnocchi hip and popular. You're, you're just like the you're the real deal, Armo. Thank you very much, but I had a hell of a lot of help along the way. <laughs> well, nobody does it alone. It's a community thing, right? Yeah, really. Tell us, uh, tell us about how you are, and then and, and Terry's going to take over because I can. I, I want to listen. Well, well, what I'm interested in first of all, and I'm sure the audience too. Who is Armandino Batali? Where does he come from? And how did this whole story, your whole life story is so amazing to me. So give us a little bit of a rundown on, okay. you know, where you started and everything. Well, my grandfather was Angelo Merlino. You see their trucks all over town. He started uh, the import business in 2000 or, 19, I don't know, 80 years ago, <laughs> right across the street from the immigration center. Because he, he came over and was a miner at Black Diamond and didn't like the cheese, so he started his own business. And then we've all been food-related people since then. Uh, families, uh, holidays, everybody cooked. Um, it became a almost a challenge between cousins and aunts and uncles who could make the best dinner or cook the best turkey or make the best pasta or whatever. 
anyway, so that's kind of the history. But you grew up in Seattle, right? I grew up in Yakima, actually, uh, born in Seattle. We, my dad had a farm in the lower valley in Yakima, much like Tom's farm, although a little bit maybe bigger. But there wasn't at the time of, uh, of, of that time, there wasn't the uh, care about quality. It was uh, lots of wheat or lots of hops or, or make as much as you could. Right. Anyway, so we, we um, graduated from college and went to work for Boeing. And about three years later, they asked us to go to Europe. And we, it was a two-year assignment, and we stayed 15. <laughs> and I, I kind of tell a joke about when we moved back, they had put all our, our furnishings in storage. And at 15 years, we had a 15-year-old refrigerator, a 15-year-old lawnmower, 15-year-old this and that, and, and the color orange, and you know, what the hell was going on 15 years Anyway, that, that was great. But living over there was a great experience for our whole family. Um, we would go to Michelin restaurants, and the kids learned to, to, to pick the one forker, not the five-star or the three-star, if you know the Michelin mm-hmm. story. And that was, that was a good experience. Uh, living there was indeed a different lifestyle. And... and um, we lived in central Madrid and central London, so we had both. Spent a lot of time in Italy with the butchers uh, there. Um, what, a, what an education for your children. That's pretty impressive. It was. And yeah. they, they admit that today. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you're a lucky parent. Most of the time you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and this was a, a good move. Yeah. And, and they, they they've responded really well. Anyway, we one of our positions was salami. You know, we tasted salami in Hungary and Czechoslovakia and Italy and Spain, and all of it almost tasted the same. It was always at paprika or um, some spice or just no spice. But there was not a lot of creativity. So my wife and I thought that when we retired that we would start our own little delicatessen. And, and we did, but we changed the face of what we were making to a little more hip-type salamis like the mole, like the orange, um, I don't know, we probably have 10 or 15 salamis uh, in, uh, in the, the, the factories making stages. And one of the things that we did do well was lamb prosciutto. And um, this, I worked with Dario Cacchini, who's a butcher of, the, of Italy. Uh, I'll tell you all kinds of stories about him. But he, he uh, told me, you can never make prosciutto out of lamb. And I said, no, that's not true. And so, so we started Says making, a guy from Boeing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who in the hell is this guy? Yeah. And so we made some, and I sent it to him. And then, well, he got a little hip about it. He's the guy that, uh, when they had the mad cow disease in in Europe, they they banned it from Italy because of the bone 
in the in this. Right. So he took to the streets and he got like hundred thousand people and to march in Florence in favor of keeping the bone in and being able to serve this steak. And he won. He actually won. Anyway, this guy was crazy. He, I just talked to him yesterday. He's a, I'll tell you a little, if I got time. Go ahead, go ahead. A little story about him. He, um, in the 90s, the uh, Italy was going into the uh, e, uh, European community. So part of that getting into the European community was they had to get their meat meat makers or meat producers are uh, approved. So the Italian government hires the American government to send over a team. They send over 21 veterinarians to assess the ability of Italians to make prosciutto. (laughs) (laughs) Which they've been making for hundreds of years. (laughs) Anyway... So one day they decided that in this 21 was one woman. There were 20, 20 men and one woman. Anyway, they, one day they picked one butcher shop and they picked him because he was so high profile, lovable, wonderful artist. So here comes this big bus and these 21 <laughs> veterinarians get out of the bus and they walk in his store and it's a long, it's a typical meat market. It's a long, narrow, not very clean um, facility. So you, they go back and they look at the curing area, and there's mold on the walls and mold on the meat and on the ceiling and on the floor. And then they didn't, he didn't even show him his secret one in his house. <laughs> it's really bad. And so they... They, they watch him for four or five hours. Finally, they say, well, you got to clean this place up. We'll be back in three weeks to, to um, assess you again. So he calls me, and he always called me at three in the morning over here. I mean, it was his, his habit. I said, well, go buy some bleach and clean it then. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. My dad didn't do it. My grandfather, I'm not going to do it. it just, my meat is the best. So a week later, he finally calls me back. He says, yeah, I finally did what you said. He says, I bought some bleach. I said, how much? He says, a pint. <laughs> you couldn't buy a gallon of bleach in Italy anywhere. <laughs> anyway, so... Here comes, finally, here comes the the, uh, bus back again three weeks later. They walk in and they write him up because he hadn't cleaned it up and they gave him so many days to clean it up or close. So I didn't hear from him for, oh, I don't know, a couple, three months, maybe more. I I didn't want to bother him, and yet I did. And so finally I called him and he says... uh, uh, yeah, they were back. He says, uh, I'm in business, and I'm doing really good. And I said, well, how did you do that? He says, well, I married the veterinarian from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Italian ingenuity. Right? <laughs> oh, let's- more, stories, uh, more stories and such uh, from Armandino Batali when we come back in our next segment. 
Armo, uh, I just uh, a couple of things I want you to think about when we come back is, can people make salami at home? And if not, uh, should they just stick with sausages? What would you tell us, the beginner salami maker today, after all your experience? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the Seattle Hot Stone Kitchen, downtown Seattle on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in hat. We've been joined by the legendary Armadino Batala. You can call him Armo. Now that you've heard him on our show, when you see him on the streets, uh, just say, hey, Armo. Hey, Armo. Hey, Armo. Hey, Armo. Yeah. Armo, uh, for so long you have been a fixture in our town, starting the, the fabulous Salumi and and all the other things that you do, working for Boeing, traveling the world, been a great uh, advocate for Food Lifeline, doing their big benefit every year called Savers, Saver Event, uh, cooking and enjoying and donating your time in your home cooking and kitchen to the cause. And there's just so much that uh, you do that inspires all of us around Seattle. Uh, tell us, a little more succinctly uh, about that. And then before we get off on this segment, I want to know, can people legitimately make salami in their home? Because I know in the restaurants, the health department is not very happy about the whole idea, but can people make a safe product at home? So first off, um, what got you involved with Food Lifeline and, and uh, where you, do you stand these days and your philanthropic efforts? I, I cook every today, every Friday for the St. James homeless people, which keeps me uh, pretty happy to be in a kitchen. We have five or six volunteers, and we cook a hot dinner for the homeless. We serve probably 150 a day. Uh, we're talking about going back to 200. They used to serve 200 a day there, sit down which is quite a dramatic effort in the, in the homeless. You know, you get all kinds of people. They're pretty well uh, disciplined when they walk into church or walk into the kitchen. I enjoy that. Um, I'm on the board of trustees at St. Martin's, and we do a lot of... Um, we've been very fortunate over the years when, when I was the first chairman, we started bringing high-end chefs to a gala affair that gave money to student scholarships. And in 12 years, we've been able to do about $15 million wow. in, money, in money collected. Uh, last year, we had Jacques Pepin. I know. Tom was there. Uh, we're honored to have him. Uh, we've had Mario. We've had Carla Hall. We've had Guy Fieri. Uh, all kinds of... This year we have Ann Burrell coming, mm-hmm. coming with a crazy hair. <laughs> um, that's been a, a joy for me. I spend a lot of time on that. I lost my wife uh, two years ago this month. Uh, she was a big driver in caring and sharing uh, our objectives. Um, incredible person. And she used to make gnocchi in the window at Salumi every Tuesday. In Italy, it was, I think, Gnocchi Day was Thursday, but we had to be different. <laughs> and uh, Salumi was created just out of the, it was a retirement dream that we had. Um, 
we wanted to to give back. So that's why we picked Pioneer Square. It was a pretty downtrod area, and it shouldn't be and shouldn't ever be. And so we picked a little building, a little place there uh, that was owned by Samus, Sam Israel and his, who made shoes for the Army during the war, made a ton of money, bought all kinds of buildings, but he never maintained them. I mean, he, he owned half, or he owns half of Pioneer Square. So we, we rented that. We had 700 square feet when we started. A lot of cubic feet because it had a big high ceiling, which was useless. But. <laughs> Isn't it where you're supposed to hang the prosciutto? Yeah. <laughs> so we started making cured meats. And um, I'd learned this in Italy. And Tom asked the question. We had a little oven and we had uh, some culture. And we it was pretty technical involved uh, and it still is and it even more so today uh, with the rules of the government we had uh, most people don't believe this but every day we made salami we had a government inspector come in and this was just part of the uh, the meat curing process that the government insists on the HACCP plans and the health plans and the water control and the storage control. And my background at Boeing was in engineering, and um, we built a system beyond uh, beyond doubt, probably the best in the America. Ideally, we were small. We could control it. Anyway, that's how we started. And it grew pretty fast. Uh, we wanted to serve lunch so we developed uh, pasta recipes for that, a porchetta sandwich. We had my mother's meatballs, and uh, it became a socially fun place to be. And one of the, the things that has driven our family is the word hospitality. It also uh, is part of the St. Martin's University basic thought processes, but it's it's caring for the for the customer who came in and and we put wine on the table but people poured their own and kept track of their own glass and and um, we got to know people so well uh, we had um, a lot of and when we started a lot of free labor one of them was the ex uh, leader of Perkins Coie. A lawyer, and we had private dinners every week for 12 to 15 on Saturday night. We were booked for a year, I think. I don't know. And uh, he he liked us, so he came and he says, I'd like to help you. And I said, great. I said, what can you do? Well, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Marilyn puts him at the cash register. Uh, so that's where and you put it, the lawyer. <laughs> and he screwed up. More, I mean, every day you had to go through the money because he screwed up. Can you imagine paying a lawyer by the hour? <laughs> to mess it up? <laughs> oh, hey, Arma, before we only have a, Arma, we only have a minute. I want to know, can people make salami yeah. at home these days, or are they going to kill themselves? You only have one minute. Okay. It's very difficult, and restaurateurs are finding it the same. They just don't seem to have the time to follow up. Even though they might have a simple HACCP plan, which the uh, health department requires, 
It's a very tedious. You got to watch the product. It's a caring job. You have to be caring. Yeah. It's like gardening in some ways. You have to be there every day, even though it's going to grow on its own. You still have to be there every day. Yeah. Unfortunately, listeria grows on its own too. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, it's very difficult. But uh, at home, now there are recipes, and if you ever thought of doing this. There are a lot of cultures available that convert part of the process of safety that you can buy. And uh, if anyone has any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. I, it can be done, Tom. You just have to be very careful about the, the, the process of drying creates potential for listeria or, or uh, salmonella uh, then you got to control the incoming meat and the cooler, and it just needs it needs love and care. I guess if you make wine, you probably or beer, you you probably got a first step on it, uh, and then you need the equipment. You need coolers, and you need like a good wine cooler. Usually, is good for uh, hanging uh, salami or prosciutto in. Okay, I got to cut you off there, Armo. Okay. Thank you so much, Terry. I want you to walk over to Armo and get a pinky promise. All right, he's going to come back on our show and uh, share more stories. I got a I got a hug from him. Okay, good. Thank you All so right, much, Armando. Thank, thank you so much, Armo. Uh, we got another full hour, full hour to go right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. All right, we're back. It's our number two of the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Coming up, we're going to spruce up your spring salads. We're going to have, talk about Kenji Lopez' alt idea about uh, a crunchy tuna sandwich, which when I saw Terry's eyes roll in the back of his head, I understood that maybe this isn't for him. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, we have a question, Chef. Uh, we have a question from our listener. Who wants to know how to elevate Burger King's egg sandwich for lacto-ovo vegetarian diet, which means he's a vegetarian, uh, they're a vegetarian, but they don't, uh, they can eat eggs and cheese. So uh, that's all coming up. And of course, uh, Pamela, you, you are going to uh, change up our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub With Love. What are you going to do today for that segment? It's foodie jokes. We like humor with food. So is there any challenge for the chef and I, or are we just have yes, to sit back? Yes, to, to try wow. to get the answers. That would be good. Oh, get the answer oh. of a funny joke? <laughs> yes. Okay. So are we talking about, like, why the chicken crossed the road kind of thing? I'm the one telling the jokes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You're the one answering, because you wanted All to right. go on the other side. <laughs> chef, uh, so I'm just going to read from Pamela's notes here. Listener uh, says, I've made a fried egg and mushroom croissant sandwich with cheese, mayo, salt, and fresh ground pepper. The cheeses I've used are Gouda, smoked Gouda, Munster, Havarti, and a maxi blend. I'm not sure what a maxi blend is, but (laughs) my guess is it's something you can buy at QFC. It still seems bland. In theory, though, it sounded great to him. How do I make this go from ordinary to extraordinary? Well, uh, uh, my this first, is from David Wilson, made in the Northwest. So my first inclination on this is if you want to be vegetarian, it's missing vegetables. Like I would definitely start with 
things like arugula. Mushrooms. She's got mushrooms. Yeah. No, he's got mushroom. But I would do something like arugula, something that has a, a piquant, uh, vibrant flavor. That's one of the items I would definitely add to this sandwich because when you bite through it, you'd have that that mushroom and that cheese. Uh, we all know what mushroom and cheese taste like. It's a wonderful flavor. That's what I love about this breakfast sandwich here. But if you add arugula, now you have a different flavor. You have a bite flavor added to it, which really perks up the, the sandwich. I think also if he was to make a uh, an herb like a, a chermoula kind of idea, which is basically blended herb, lemon, salt, pepper, and, and a little bit of olive oil, and you drizzle that on top of your eggs in your sandwich, that also would perk up your um, sandwich. And lately I've been on this, uh, my wife is probably going to laugh at this, but we found this salsa. Where did you get that salsa again? Med Market. Delicious salsa. And, I, I, you know, there is many salsas out there on the market. And, and you eat some salsas and, you know, they're okay. But we found one, and I'm starting to put on everything. And I, when you talk about an egg sandwich with mushroom and cheese, first thing I think about is, like, just take that salsa, drain it a little bit, put it right on top of that sandwich, close it, and eat it. And that would be a great perkiness to your sandwich. That would bring another layer of flavor. I would also like to go back and follow David through his process. Because to me, there could be some very simple things that he's not doing that would change the whole dynamic of that sandwich. So, for example, it says, I've made a fried egg. Well, there's lots of fried eggs, right? (laughs) Uh, There's fried eggs that are kind of done low and slow, which to me are super bland. Or there's fried eggs that are cooked in brown butter with crispy edges that have a little spice rub on top, like maybe a little espalette pepper or something like that. So now we've changed the complete dynamic of the fried egg. Let's go back to the croissant. My guess is he's taking the croissant, he's cut it in half, and he's starting to build a sandwich. Right. Uh, you and I both know if you take that croissant or the English muffin, right. put a little butter on it, and you pan sear it or toast it so that it's got a great crunchy brown caramelized edge to it, Again, you've immediately changed the dynamic of the sandwich without doing much else. Right. Uh, I love your idea of the arugula or some sort of sautéed spinach with garlic and chilies. I mean, this is a classic, and I'm surprised you didn't say this, Chef. But a nice spread of Dijon mustard on well, that. I, that was wait. That was my next move. I mean, we. Well, it's an eight-minute show. We we get That's a like your fourth move. I can't just you put it. Lost the, you could have lost the date already. And waiting on that move. I was going with the exotic first, and then I finished. But the traditional Dijon mustard, which is always a safety for anything. I yeah, mean, bright, acidic, uh, and gives uh, everything a nice perk. Uh, that to me would so now we've got a toasted English muffin or croissant. Now we've got a spread of Dijon mustard. Now we've got a fried egg with a crispy edge and a little spice rub on top. You could stop there and just do your mushrooms and cheese and be a happy man. But uh, I would go into and I would get something like the Beecher's uh, Marco Polo or or what? What's they have another one that's yeah, called Mother. Uh, mother's uh, like it's a black peppercorn cheese. Uh-huh. No, no mother. I think it's called right. something like that. You know, or even their aged cheddar is so dynamic compared to just like a uh, a regular plain old Jack cheese right. or Havarti. You no, know, when you add Havarti to a sandwich, you're not adding anything. No, you're not adding any flavor. I, I'm sorry. You're, yeah, if you're looking for some sort of jump, uh, you're not. You, when when you add Gouda, it has to be an aged Gouda. If you're adding Munster, you're not adding anything. You're not adding any 
jump into your sandwich. And so that, in my opinion, what he's looking for are things that make that sandwich jump a bit. Right. And, and I think you're right. And uh, uh, one thing that he did, though, smoked cheese. I think smoked cheese is a great addition. Mm-hmm. You know, especially yeah. like if you get a um, scaramosa, you know, like uh, the smoked mozzarella. That could be also a good addition to a sandwich. But you mm-hmm. have to make sure, very importantly, that that cheese melts down. So it's important, then you, like you said, you, you cook the croissant, you start putting your items on it, you put the cheese on top, and you put it back in the oven for a minute, so then that cheese can have a chance to melt. Because to me, I think there's, that's not really it's kind of disgusting if the cheese is still like hard and <laughs> not, my, not my cup of tea. And then if you really want to gild the lily, uh, Chef and I both know that uh, a little dabble do ya on some Chinese spicy chili crisp. Mm. Uh, I, I thought it, about that too. That was good. While it, while it says it's, well, it's from Chinese and it's a Chinese condiment, once you put it on that sandwich with all the other stuff, it's just going to be part of the layers of flavor right. that you're mm. looking for to perk up your sandwich. Right. And if you want to go African, you go Harissa. And if you want to go, I mean, there is many different flavors you can add. Mm-hmm. You could also do some fresh chili, you know, just slice super thin, fresh chili, remove the seeds, and then layer down on top of your your sandwich. And that would be also very delicious. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of no, items. All sorts of things to make that dull Burger King ordinary style breakfast sandwich extraordinary. Thank one, you, Chef. And one thing we didn't touch on is pickled vegetable. Pickle your own oh, vegetable yeah. and put some on top. That would be an easy one. You have it in the fridge already, so... Okay, David, I think you've got some good ideas there <laughs> to take your sandwich up. Bon appétit. <laughs> All right, Thank let's you. spruce up our spring salads. It's that time. We're starting to get those baby greens out of the ground. Our piece of pop. Uh, let's do that next year on the Hot Stove Society radio show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society show. From downtown Seattle in the Hotel Andra, right there at 4th and Virginia. We're happy to be back in the in the kitchen with you all. Hopefully you're in your garden harvesting spring greens and herbs and all the little shoots that are popping up out of the ground. Even though it's been cool, uh, that is really a great place to get uh, spring quality greens because if it's too hot, they just shoot out of the ground and bolt and then they're lost for the rest of the year. So yeah, my-, my name is Doug Douglas. And my name is Thierry Rotturo, the chef in the hat. I was going to say, Tom, my fight this year has been my, my um, dandelion in my, in my, uh, on my lawn. Oh, my God almighty. There's, those things pop up like by the minute you just go, you pick them up, and boom, they come right back. This never- my fight this year, Thierry. I've been reading a disturbing accounts that Seattle Central Community College is dropping their culinary program. Right. And I'm devastated by that because, to me, trade schools and, and the such, which is what I kind of consider that program, they have an electrician's program and all sorts of trade programs, um, those are the backbone of our community, and I hate to see it go away. We've already lost South Seattle Baking Program. We've lost the Art Institute. We've lost so many. Uh, I just hate to see this one going down the same path. Right. It would be um... – it's, we live in a time where we need more of those places as opposed to less. So we need as a community to get together and really figure out how to make this work. And, you know, whether it's South, because the program at South also needs help. So South and Central should both um, 
be community oriented and we should all as a community partake into finding out what it's going to take to make it work and and help in that cause because we need to produce more of those people working with hands as opposed to other jobs you know and this will always be needed around and uh, we will always need cooks we will always need servers butchers bakers we will always need plumbers yeah. I mean, we need them all yeah yeah absolutely so it's important that we keep that alive all right so if you have a chance uh, make your voice heard in the conversation going out and about on the Seattle Central uh, Community College's culinary program. Uh, that would be great. Yep. All right. Uh, for the rest of the segment, let's talk about what you're finding in your yard right now, Chef. You are you are um, out of the restaurant business per se right. in a direct way. You still have your place down at the airport mm-hmm. that you're consulting on. Tell us about the time that you have now to go out and pick through dandelions and find edibles in your yard and in things that you've planted and, and uh, what, what you're looking for these days, early spring. Well, the quick part about the dandelion is when I was a child, we actually used to go pick them and make salad out of it. But nowadays, it's, I'm so irritated by those dandelion growing so much in my backyard. And I, all I'm doing is go with my shovel and my hand shovel and take them out. I take them out. And I have a pile of them, but they keep coming. They keep coming. I'm going to win, though, because I don't lose. I'm going to win at this, but we'll see. But back to the question, uh, Kathy and I have been working in the backyard, mostly Kathy. I'm just giving instruction, I think. Um, I'm, I'm giving desire, and she makes it happen. I think that's what happened. Create a relationship. What I have a lot of is chives, and the reason this, this came to mind is, you know, when you have a lot of chives or a lot of anything in the backyard, especially when it's in the heart of the season right now, the chives are gorgeous. What do you do with all these chives? You can't possibly eat all of them, even though we try. So things that came to mind, first thing was compound butter. It's very simple. You chop your chives, you take some butter, you room temp the butter, you involve the chives into the butter with a little seasoning. You could put some chopped shallots, a little fresh thyme chopped, and put your chives in there. And now you have a compound butter then you can roll on a piece of parchment paper, keep that in the freezer, put a date on it so you don't become a museum. It's still a freezer. You know, you don't keep it for six years, just use it in the summer. But you have a compound butter. So next time you're cooking a piece of salmon or a piece of fi- uh, anything, piece of fish, a chicken, you know, you, you don't have time to make a sauce, but you don't need to. You have the compound butter. You take the roll out of the freezer, make a few slices, put that on top of your chicken, flash it in the oven for two minutes, you get the beautiful melted herb butter on top of your uh, chicken or on top of your fish. Bingo. You get a wonderful little finishing to your product. So that's Those are one. really good ways to clean out your fridge, too, because in that same time that you're picking all these herbs, you know, you've got a lemon that's been there maybe a little too long or a lime or something. You just right. simply zest those. You've got a shallot in your kitchen. Mince it up. Put all that into your compound butter. Don't forget a little salt and pepper at the same time. Right. And then... The other thing is oil infused. You know, we always, you always use olive oil in your kitchen or, or regular oil. You just put a pan on the fire. You put those herbs in there for just a couple of minutes to reach a temperature of about 100 degrees. Let the herbs steep in there. Strain the overnight. Strain it. The next morning, bingo, you've got an oil that's been flavored. So for the chives, for example, you just chop all those chives and put them in there. It will do the fantastic work, and now your oil has picked up a flavor 
uh, like an oniony flavor kind of idea. So you have a wonderful tasty oil and you can use that again in dressing. You can use it on top of if you're roasting a piece of lamb. We were talking about lamb earlier. You just drizzle your olive oil at the end once your lamb has been cooked. Drizzle your oil on top of that and then slice your meat and then put it on a platter. You know, and that gives a nice little extra flavor on top of your meat. So let's talk now about some salad ingredients that people aren't really used to adding, I think. So you're at the store, you pick up, God darn, the bib lettuce looks awesome. You pick up a head of bib lettuce. Uh, you might pick up a few red radishes, maybe a little bit of cucumber. But there's so many other things that can go in your spring salad that I don't think people really consider. Yeah. For example, all the fronds, all of those uh the big new copper fennel or the, the wild fennel or even the dill that's been popping up. Cause that's all popping up right now. Right. All those fronds make great salad ingredients rather than pureeing or mincing them. Put them in, put them in whole. Yeah. Just go to the garden and they're all tender and young. Take a pair of scissors and then just, you know, cut the, the fronds on top of your salad. It's wonderful. It, yeah. Big chunks of chives, uh, flat leaf parsley, any kind of parsley. Yeah. If your cilantro is up, the uh, red sorrel, the red, uh, the red, the uh, red rib sorrel. sorrel. Yeah. yeah. I got a That's lot all of those. Out there. You know, fresh uh, pea tendrils. If your peas are up and going, uh, you're not going to stop the peas from growing. If you take a few tendrils, no, uh, but those would be nice bean tendrils. There's so many early crop cuttings that you can put into a great fresh spring salad. Absolutely. It's very, very um, it just walk through the, through the farmer's market on our restarting. This is the perfect time of the year to go because they will have all those ingredients we just talked about. All the young tender greens are going to be on the market. So this is a, a great time to go to the farmer's market. I love spring in the market. It's fabulous. So, Cherry, when you do a spring salad like this, you don't want to weigh it down with a big, heavy, you know, my, my go-to for a salad is sometimes like a mustard vinaigrette or right. something like that. But in the spring salad, you really don't want to weigh it down that much. So I love sticking to just olive oil, a squeeze of lemon, and some great salt, or just a stash of um, muscatel vinegar, olive oil, and mm-hmm. salt. Spring is especially a good time to be doing those kind of dressings so that you don't overwhelm your salad. Yeah, and, and some, in some cases, it depends on the greens. But if those young tender lettuces that we have now on the market are beautiful, and they don't, they're tasty, and they don't need much. You know, a big bowl, I take olive oil and I put it on the side of the bowl, let the olive oil drip, a little bit of sea salt, that's it. I don't put anything else. I don't put vinegar, I don't put any acids. Then I toss the green in there very gently to make sure that all the leaves have the olive oil and the seasoning on it. Then I put the rest of the component in a bowl and season that with a little bit of citric or whatever acid I have. Not citric acid, but um, acids and I have an olive oil again, salt and pepper. And I put that on top of the greens. You know, the greens are just so beautiful right now. Tender, spring. <laughs> Up next, let's talk about how to make a tuna salad a little different, we'll say. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, uh, 97 you like your tuna salad let's discuss that next here on the hot stone society radio show uh if you even eat a tuna sandwich i can't tell you the last time i had one honestly my name is tom douglas and my name is terry rotiro and i had one yesterday wow chef uh you know uh, 
Kenji Lopez Alt's article this week was captivating as a textual concert with a crunchy chorus. Oh, Kenji has a way with words, doesn't he? He does. Uh, he does. <laughs> and I would not. Uh, and I would not argue that that statement. Then, if you put potato chip, it would definitely create a gorgeous um, layer of different texture. That's for sure. Pamela, why did you pick this article? I mean, you have your choice of so many things when it comes to uh, programming this radio show. What got you in touch with your inner tuna sandwich self? Well, I am an avid tuna fish sandwich person, raised on them, but I was naive about the potato chip edition and had no idea that it had taken over America since the 50s. And for the New York Times to dedicate a, a whole page to Kenji talking about the debate of how and when to add your potato chips to your tuna fish, uh, I thought needed a moment of our time. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, if I may intervene, I've never had it, but I can tell you that I would certainly not put them at the beginning of making the sandwich. If I was putting anything crispy like this and thin, my take would be last-minute item addition. He had to point that out in the article because there's confusion about it. So oh, There's no confusion where I come from. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to okay, get soggy. So, so, Chef, let's make a tuna sandwich because we need to know where you're starting this process I in this. order to know when we can finish it with the chips. So how do you make your favorite tuna sandwich? I start with a good can of tuna from St. Jude. Thank you. St. Jude, St. Jude tuna. They, they make a wonderful tuna in olive oil and one in water. That's delicious. So good. Um, so you drain your tuna. And then the other things that I'm really, really keen on is to take the, um, holy, the whole grain Skagit Valley, I don't know what you call it, big bull that they sell at Metropolitan Market. That bread is just sensational it's to make. It's a life force. Oh, my God. It's so good. That bread is... It's got everything in it. It's so delicious. Anyway, you take that and you toast it on one side. One side? I'm a big fan of toasting on one side. The side you're going to make the sandwich with. And my wife is like going like this. What are you doing like this for? Yeah, like I, I, I'm confused now. First, you started with tuna. So you just put the canned tuna on a, on a toasted one-sided bread. No, no, no. I have the canned, no, 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 no. I have the canned tuna the on one side, draining. Then I'm taking two slices of bread and I'm putting them in the oven. And I'm going to toast it on the top side. And okay. then I'm going to take that bread out of the oven. And I'm going to have an aioli. And I'm going to spray onto the toasted side of the bread. Lettuce. Beautiful. So aioli is garlic mayonnaise. Garlic mayonnaise. And then um, tons of lettuce. Beautiful tender lettuce leaves. Then I'm going to put the tuna that has been mixed with a hot boiled egg. Um, chopped shallots. Tuna. And uh, lemon olive oil dressing. So I got this nice little mixture of tuna, put that on top of the lettuce, and then I'm going to take the other slice and put Dijon mustard on the toasted side and put Aioli it Aioli and mustard? Yeah. Ooh, and then put double that... Double trouble. Put that, on, <laughs> put that on top, squeeze, cut it in half because it's a big slice, and then I got two beautiful half sandwiches that I'm going to enjoy. And so just to be clear, the bread that's not... The side of the bread is not toasted is on the outside of the sandwich. Correct. Correct. And what's your theory about just not toasting both sides? Well, because I, I'm not trying to have a hard piece of bread on the outside. or The, the reason it's toasted on the inside 
is so that my sandwich doesn't fall apart, doesn't become a soggy mess. So by toasting it, I have this texture and I also have that nice little prevention of making the bread totally soaked up. But I do like the texture of that bread to be just warmed up in the oven and not crispy on the outside, on the outside side. My version is a lot like yours without the lettuce, but all of my ingredients are mixed together. The aioli, the mustard, the tuna, the the, the cornichon, um, all of that to me is one big mayonnaise-laden salad, and then I just put it on my toasted bread. And if I want a tuna melt, I put cheese on it, and I pan-fry it into a melt. Uh, but uh, I don't really love hot tuna salad. Okay, so now we both have tuna salad made out of the same ingredients kind of packed together in a different way. So Kenji's article, Pamela, if you'll if you'll mention some of the things that he's tried uh, so that uh, people know, in case they haven't read it in the New York Times, they've heard it first here on the hot stove. <laughs> uh, so Kenji, uh, I believe you said he started with uh, one version that had barbecue chips on toasted rye. Does yes, that sound that sounded like a good combo. Uh, uh, because I'm a, a rye bread fanatic, being from the East Coast, and uh, then adding the salty barbecue flavor, I thought that was uh, interesting. It was... Um, it was tuna? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, Chef, if you, don't like that, if you don't like that, the next one that Pam's going to tell you is even better. Ah, okay. The albacore shallots, cornichon, and Doritos. <laughs> it, I know you're getting. You know, this is me. to me when I hear all this. I think it's trying too hard. What about a plain potato chips? That would be making a lot more sense to me because let's get that from the audience. We're getting some uh, confirmation that the plain potato chips are the way. Yeah, I mean that um, would make sense to me. But uh, Kenji spent some time on the texture of the chip too, saying either ruffled or kettle. Yes. No, oh, there's Ruffles. some disagreement now. Ruffles. Okay, so Ruffles. He called the he called the Doritos version textural umami. Well, let's uh, that's here's, uh, here's what else he says uh, in his article is that there's no need for the fancy tuna. So I think of fancy tuna being there's a couple from Spain. I want to call it Ortiz. Yeah, uh, there's mm-hmm. a few out there that I think are really delicious. He's saying by the time you add Doritos. That maybe there's no need for the fancy tuna. Yeah, well, I would think I would think he's right on that one. I mean, it would be a sabotage to just take something very special and unique and add Doritos to it. You don't need to do that. Like that? Do you get the St. Jude tuna belly ever? That is oh, so luscious. exquisite, exquisite. No, and you just want that by the no fork. Doritos in that no one. Doritos, maybe I- some green onions. Yeah, exactly. And chives. We have chives. Yeah. I would also suggest that people take a, take a minute and try a sustainable salmon, canned salmon, Yes. Uh, instead of tuna. To me, it's just as delicious. It's pretty. It's red. Uh, it is a, it's a, a great way to it's go. Also different, it's also a different flavor, Tom. I, I like the difference of flavor between tuna and salmon. It's definitely yeah. different. Yeah, to me, the glaring miss in Kenji's article, and you know we all love Kenji. He's like one of the hottest food personalities around the country. His book, Food Lab, is a classic already. It's sold over a million copies. To me, his big miss here is the fried onions, you know, that you get in a can. 
I don't know how he could have possibly missed that. Wait, you buy? F- wait, I'm sorry. I, I heard you say in a can. You buy the fried onion in a can. You don't fry the onion. No, 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 no. You, that, that's cheating. You have to buy them in a can. You can't make them yourself. I didn't even know they sold them in a the can. That's a new discovery. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yes, there's, it's a popular product. The, the little yeah. blue label French it's one. Obviously, miss my popularity, but I'm, I'm going to look for that. Look up green onion casserole or green bean casserole, and you'll see it call for fried onions in the can every time. The other ones that he missed, he went with Fritos, which Fritos are kind of interesting, a direct corn kind of flavor. But he forgot Pamela's favorite snack, which is Cheetos. Uh, Don't and bust me on the radio, please. Totally <laughs> Cheetos, uh, Cheetos is, you know, do you have that on the side? Don't put that on my tuna salad. That would be well, no way. Pamela, I just want to know, in your version, since you love Cheetos so much, would you put the Cheetos puffs on your tuna sandwich or the Cheetos crunchies on your crunchy tuna sandwich? Crunchy all the way. Has to crunchy, be crunchy all the way. But the my crunch is celery. I I'm yes. addicted to celery, and I think mm-hmm. it's got to be – it's a critical part of successful tuna. Yeah, I mean, celery, right. celery to me makes a lot of sense. <laughs> total, 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 a lot of sense. A couple of last questions here for the perfect tuna salad. Sweet or dill pickle, just say which one you like. I'm dill. a dill. Dill, 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 dill. All right, three for dill. Red onion or green onion? Red. I go oh, green. Green. I go green. Green's winning in the audience. And uh, what kind of cheese on a tuna melt? No, no cheese Classic for me. American. No cheese for me. Classic American where you get the real melt? Or are you going to go fancy like a Beecher flagship? That would be not necessary, I think. That wasn't the question, Chef. We don't have too many tuna melt fans in the audience. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, you can't. I don't. The idea of. I'm, what, going, uh, I'm going classic American because I want that kind of smooth meltiness in my tuna melt. That's why they call it. A tuna melt. All right. It's everyone's favorite time. It's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia, which today is a joke <laughs> on you. When we come back, it's the Hot Soap Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's time for our final segment of the Hot Soap Society radio show coming to you from the Hotel Omnia in downtown Seattle. Uh, it's uh, Hot Stove's uh, last segment is always brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs, a family of spice blends, sauces, and mustards that belong in your pantry. These condiments will help you create distinctive flavor profiles in any dish you are creating. Have fun mixing and matching them on your veggies and proteins. You can find Rub With Love locally at your local stores like QFC, Whole Foods, uh, McClendon Hardware Stores, Met Markets, uh, you name it. They're all over the place, and we make them right here in Ballard. Try out the brand-new Jerk Rub, Taco Spice, and Serious Pie Pizza Spice. Also, Bartels is uh, placed in order for Rub with Love, so you should be able to find them in your Bartels store soon. And remember, if you can't, we always sell them down at the Rub Shack in the Pike Place Market, Seatown, or online under TomDouglas.com. Okay, Pamela, it's time to play our game. It's a little bit different today. Tell folks uh, what we have to do and how they win and who our winner is going to be. I love food humor. I didn't have time to do trivia last night because my friend Paula Cherugino and Fred Smith were in the house and we were eating dinner at Lola, so I couldn't write my trivia. 
but I have a, a handy backup in my Lunch Line Silly Riddles book, which is what we're using today. So the three contestants, Tom, Terry, and Hildegard, are each going to get five jokes. And the one that gets most right is the winner. All right. the prize of the three new rubs. I'm excited. So where did Hildegard come from? She came from the audience. Okay. Where do you, where are, do you hail from? Redmond. Oh, big trip this morning. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank minutes. you for making the trip. We appreciate it. Uh, Terry Rotra, are you ready to start? I, I am ready. Go ahead. All right. Why was the ice cream lonely? Maybe think about how it's served in some ice cream parlors. Why was the ice cream lonely? I'm looking at my wife to see if she has any inspiration. Yeah, Kathy was a big help last time, so she might. Okay. Tom, any idea? Yeah, Chef, it's only a two-hour show uh, because it was served (laughs) one scoop at a time. Oh, cute. No, the answer was because the banana split. Oh, oh, number two. Ooh, I would have never guessed that one. So good. I don't feel so bad. Why did the train engineer choke? Think Why did the train engineer choke? <laughs> Think about a noise that a train might Choo-choo. Make. Yes. He forgot to choo-choo his food. Exactly. Next. You're on a roll. I'm on a roll. How much salt do crabs put on their food? How much salt do crab put on their A pinch. <laughs> You're brilliant. I'm glad it wasn't a claw. What? (laughs) Uh, Number four, what do carnivores eat in space? Meatless. uh, (laughs) No. Yeah, no. In the air. It's nothing to do with meatless, right? It's not like a space. Okay. uh, I I don't know. I'm giving up. Meteors. That's good. And the last one. I love it. What is it called when a witch brings you dinner? It's called a sandwich. No, uh, it's something uh, brings you dinner. It's called a... Oh, something to witch. What might she ride in on? Oh, broom. Like a broomstick. A broom service. (laughs) That is awesome. Two out of five. Not bad. Thank you. I'm even surprised I got two. Hildegard of Redmond. You got the corny side of that? I'll try. Okay. Where does spaghetti go to dance? Think of something that is often with a spaghetti. Salsa? Uh, Meatball. Meatball. (laughs) Your friends can definitely shout out. (laughs) What do monsters put on bagels? Think about what a reaction to a monster might be. Mash? No. <laughs> Scary. Scream cheese. <laughs> wow. Number. <laughs> I know. <laughs> With you. <laughs> uh, what do you get when you burn a bagel? Related to the shape. You're, you're, you're on to something. What's the circle called? Round. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Holy smoke. She's burning you right now. Oh, three years. Where are those food jokes? Yeah. Well, there are those food questions. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a cow and a lemon? A moo, moo something. Yay! Sour. You're giving her the point, right? What is it? Sour cream. Sour, Sour cream. Sour cream. 
That was good. That was good. Thank you. What is the laziest food? Slow food. Dum, 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 dum. Okay, ding, ding. Bread. It likes to loaf around. Oh. oh. <laughs> All right. Now let's see how Mr. Douglas handles Kill this. Hildegard, you got one out of five. With All the right. help of the audience. Thank you. Thank you, audience. <laughs> Mr. Douglas, what did the umpire say when he wanted pancakes? Uh, you're out of stock. <laughs> <laughs> the audience had it. Batter up. Batter up, yes. Did, I love this one. Did you hear about the restaurant for people with no teeth and what it's called? Mum's the word. It's called the mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, three, what do you call a 90-year-old woman who eats porridge? Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Oldilocks. Oh, What does a gorilla wear when it cooks? An apron. Yeah. I was just going to say that. You get one. (laughs) One more question. What song did the mommy oyster sing to the baby oyster? Pearl Jam. Mary had a little clam. (laughs) Yay. Terry's the winner. (laughs) Wow. And what are you going to give to Hildegard? I'm sorry? You're good, but you still have to deliver oh, yeah. the prize. I still Hildegard. have to deliver the prize to yeah, Hildegard. Even though you're the winner. So what are the, what are the prize? The three new rubs. The three we'll, new rubs, we'll which are? Which one? Uh, taco, spice, and jerk. Got it. Do you like that? Hey, oh, d- delicious. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for joining no, us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that was sure fun. <laughs> and, uh, I hope they replay our show in the preschool sometime. That would be great. <laughs> You're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Notori. Also, remember, if you missed any episode of our Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, you can listen to a podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. <laughs>